Well, it's an honor and a privilege to welcome you again to our Sunday School. And again, as we say every week, for those of you who are doing this to keep up with your class, I'm proud of you. God bless you for doing that. That is a, a, a very good thing that you do. And probably most people don't really care enough to do it, but you do. And I believe God will honor that. And I certainly appreciate it. I also would like to say to our teachers, just a word of appreciation that your um, labor and your works that you do for your class and for the Lord, of course, uh, it's not in vain. The Lord will honor those and he'll bless those. And I certainly do appreciate it as well. So don't grow weary in well-doing. I know sometimes you wonder if you're appreciated. You wonder if what you do really does make a difference, if it matters to anybody. And uh, it certainly does. You were blessing a lot of people and you're blessing the Lord and blessing the church as well. And those things are never done in vain. God uh, is not so unjust, it says in the book of Hebrews, as to forget the works that you do. And so uh, uh, pray for your class and keep your heart right with God. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back and we'll see what God does as it bears fruit. New City Catechism for this week. The question, since, okay, since we are redeemed by grace alone through Christ alone, and maybe we could say because we are redeemed by grace alone through Christ alone, the question goes on to say, must we still do good works and obey God's word? You know, the knock on um, Baptists in particular, because we believe in the security of the believer or the perseverance of the saints or once saved, always saved, however you would like to put it. Uh, the knock has been that, uh, well, you just believe that you can get saved and then live any way that you want to live. And um, I respond to that. No, we don't believe that because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that when we are saved, we are secure. That is true. But it also teaches that those who are saved have new life in them, and the new life within them bears fruit. We are to be fruit-bearing Christians. And uh, the Bible doesn't know anything of a, of a Christian who is not a part of a church, of a Christian who is not partaking in baptism, if they can. Certainly the thief on the cross would be a different situation, but under normal circumstances, there are no unbaptized un un believers. And also, uh, there are no uh, believers, no true Christians, who don't care about their relationship and walk with God. That those people are the ones that, um, as, it, as it says I believe in the book of 1 John, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt remained with us. There is a, a man that comes to my mind that's very sad, Joshua Harris. He wrote a best-selling book back in the uh, 90s called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And it became kind of the manual for the purity movement that was going on back then, trying to get teenagers especially to um, not have sex before marriage and not to get involved in just frivolous dating relationships 
that open up all kinds of temptation. And uh, then he wrote a book uh, about his own courtship with his wife, married her. And then he became an intern at a church and then became a senior pastor at a mega church in Gaithersburg, Maryland. He was uh, one of the uh, big dogs in the Sovereign Grace music movement and some of those kind of things. Joshua Harris is now divorced from his wife. He is no longer a pastor. And uh, within the last year, he said that I, couldn't, I can no longer identify myself as a Christian. So what did he do? Lose his salvation? What in the world happened? Well, according to what we understand the Bible teaches, that if he indeed has completely abandoned all of the, the faith, then that means he never was saved to begin with. So we need to pray for him. But it also tells us something else. If indeed he was saved, he may stray, but the Lord is going to bring him back. And this is part of what the sovereignty of God teaches us and why we always have hope in the Lord. We have hope in the Lord because lost people are going to get saved by the grace of God. And so we pray for them. I never understand why an Arminian ever prays to God to save somebody because according to them, God's done everything he can do. Now it's up to us and up to them and we've got to persuade them. Don't believe that for a minute. But I do believe that we can pray to the Lord because he's the only hope they have. But for saved people who stray, you know anybody like that? Maybe not to the degree that Joshua Harris has, maybe not to the degree of actually renouncing Christ and saying that they can no longer be identified as a Christian, but maybe they lose interest. Maybe they stray into sin. Well, you can be sure, assured about one thing. If they are a child of God, a big if, if they are, because we don't know when they're living like that. We can't be assured of it if they're living like that. We know the Lord will go after them. He'll leave the 99 and go after the one. He will redeem them. I mean, after all, the apostle Peter did an unthinkable thing of denying the Lord three times. And yet the Lord restored him because Peter belonged to the Lord. Think about that. And so uh, we look at this and we realize that if we are saved, there are going to be certain things that come out of our lives. In other words, there are going, there's going to be fruit. There's going to be reproduction. We're going to leave something behind that will glorify the Lord. And so the answer that we are given here is yes, we do. We can't just get saved and live any way we want to live because we're no longer our own, but we're bought with a price. Remember that? And so we are slaves to Christ. Yes, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his spirit so that our lives may show love and gratitude to God so that we may be assured of our faith by the fruits and so that by our godly behavior, others may be won to Christ. Isn't that good? Everybody ought to say an amen to that because there is something that happens to us with the new nature that we receive and with the presence of the Lord and the work of the word in our life. 
we begin to grow and we can't help but grow. And as we grow and mature, something happens. Have you ever watched your children or your grandchildren as they grow and they didn't even necessarily intend to grow? They may have wanted to grow to a little kid. It always sounds better to be a little older, doesn't it? But uh, they don't always like the responsibility that comes with growing up. And yet they do it anyway, don't they? And they take on those responsibilities. And as they get to a certain point, what happens? They get married. Hopefully they do it in this order. And then they reproduce. There's something that is innate in just about everybody. Very few people don't want to do this, but we want to grow up and we want to be on our own. We want to be independent. And then we want to join up with someone else. And then we want to have children and raise our children and pour our lives into them and also into our grandchildren. We all love to do that as well. And in the Christian life, it's the same way. Because of what Christ has done for us and because of the life that is in us now, we want to grow and we can't help but to grow. And as God sanctifies us, he brings us to the point to where we want to be, in a sense, independent. Now, by that, I don't mean independent from God, but there comes a point to where we want to be independent in terms of, how shall I put this, knowing things for ourselves and doing things for ourselves. Now, I, again, I don't mean apart from God, but I do mean this. There are some times when uh, we look at our lives and we go, I wish I knew what John knows, and I wish I knew it for myself. And there was a time when it didn't bother you. John was your answer man. And you always went to John, you called John, you texted John whenever you wanted to know something. But because you're growing spiritually, you have a desire to know that for yourself. And so you begin to study and you begin to learn and you begin to grow in the things of God. You want to be uh, independent, independent in, in the right way, in the right way. And then there comes a desire in your heart not just to be independent, not just to be Mr. Know-it-all, but you want to kind of be a spiritual parent to someone else. You want to help someone else to grow in the Lord. And you want to lead someone else to faith in Christ and um, be an agent of grace to them, to teach them and to bless them. That's a normal and natural thing. You say, well, Brother Greg, what if that's not in somebody's life? I think it's a good time to really question whether they're saved or not. Now, some people get real offended at that. Some people say, well, what are you doing telling people that they're not saved? I got a harsh letter about that one time. Hey, listen, I do that out of love because I was one of them. Have you forgotten my testimony? I was one of them. And I was a lost church member. And I know that lost church members exist. You may be one of them. And the Bible calls upon us to make our calling and election sure. You know, you say, well, you're making me question my salvation. That's not me. That's the Bible that does that. And the Holy Spirit causes that to happen. And that may be the best thing that ever happened to you or someone else, because if you're not saved, the best thing that can happen is you to get under conviction and get saved. I don't care who you are. If you're an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or somebody like that, you need to be saved. 
And secondly, it's good because if you are saved, that questioning will confirm your salvation. And one of the things we said in this answer is that we can be confirmed of our salvation or assured of it by how? By the fruit that we bear, by the fruit that we bear. That's an important thing. The Bible never tells us, go back and make sure that you prayed a prayer or walked an aisle or were baptized or had a warm, fuzzy feeling or cried or laughed or something like that. It never gives assurance on the basis of any of those things, the things that we have done. It gives us assurance on the basis of our present day situation, present day situation. Okay, think about that. When you see somebody that in their present day situation, that they are living in sin and they're unconcerned about it, you have every right to question whether they're saved or not, and they should be concerned about that as well. If you see someone that is not concerned about reproducing themselves, in other words, leading other people to Christ, you have every right to question whether they're a true believer or not, and they should be under conviction and be concerned about that as well. There ought to be fruit in your life. The Bible always calls us to examine our fruit, present day fruit. Am I a fruit bearing Christian? Now, you may have to dig around in the leaves to look and you may find a, a dried grape, which I guess technically that would be a raisin in there somewhere. And uh, at least that would identify that, uh, you know, what you are. But the Bible says that God is glorified when we bear much fruit. And I want to ask you a question. Do you bear much fruit? Do you even care about bearing much fruit? Or do you just leave that to somebody else? Because that's the mark of being a believer. We want to please our Father. We want to bear fruit. We show the evidence and the identity of our new life. The second thing that we're always called to do in the Bible is to ask or to answer this question, what and in whom are we trusting for our salvation? Not 10 years ago, not 20 years ago, but right now. Who are you trusting in? And if it's not Christ, if you're trusting in the word of a preacher, I heard a preacher one time say as he shook someone's hand, oh, I know you got saved. That's a Holy Ghost handshake. That is Hebrew for hogwash. That is ridiculous for anybody to say something like that. Well, I know I'm saying there used to be a song that um, said in it, you'll know where I'm going by the look on my face. That is the most ridiculous, idiotic, stupid thing that I've ever heard. You can't tell where somebody, whether somebody's going to heaven or not by the look on their face. The Bible never does that kind of stuff. We've got to get out of this bumper sticker, feel good theology and get back to the word of God. And the word of God would call you to say this, where is your faith placed right now? Is it in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Not in what aisle you walked down, not in what prayer you prayed, not in what kind of water you were dunked in, but in the death, burial and resurrection as full payment for your sins. Is that where you are? And if those things are true, then when you stray, as we all do, hear me say that, as we all do, and there are periods and seasons in our life where we're not everything that we should be, but the God who is for you and the God who has saved you, 
He will discipline you and bring you back where you are supposed to be so that you can have the assurance, true assurance of your salvation by, by your fruit and by your faith. By your fruit and by your faith. That'll preach, won't it? So those are the things to look at. So if you've got children and you are, as a parent, watching them and you are disappointed in the way that they're living, but you say, but one thing I know for sure, at least they're saved. How do you know that? Well, I remember when they walked an aisle. Again, that doesn't save anybody. I remember when they went down front. Again, that doesn't save anybody. I heard them pray a prayer. A parrot could pray the prayer. I baptized them. That's just getting wet, isn't it? You need to be concerned about them because if you're not seeing fruit and you're not seeing their faith being lived out, they may be, like I was, hear me say that again, like I was, a false convert. Okay, so pray for them. And when they stray, don't defend them, but pray for them. Give the gospel to them and trust God to do a work in their life. Because again, if they're not, that's how they're going to get saved. And that's what we want. And if they are, the Lord will bring them back. He brings his straying children back. And so this idea of works is not a matter of working for salvation, but working, how do we say it, maybe from our salvation. Salvation is not attained by good works, but salvation always produces good works. And that's what we're answering here today. So as we uh, talked about last week, you don't do good works like something added on to Jesus' work in order to be saved. But there better be some works that follow that accompany salvation. Here's our scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies, this is why God saved you, this is what accompanies salvation, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So again, good works are to accompany our salvation. Our testimony needs to be given by our lips and also by our life. If those two things don't match up, it really does cause confusion. Other believers are confused and they're not edified by you because you don't look and act and smell like a Christian. You don't pass the smell test, in other words. And then those times when you proclaim to be a believer, but you don't live like it, what are, what are lost people supposed to think? But flip that around. What if you live a really good moral life, 
but you never give God any glory for it, people are going to think you're just a good person, and a lost person may assume that's how you get to go to heaven. You be like whatever your name is. You be like them, and they just imitate you, and they never meet Christ. No, it's got to be both, folks. got to be both life and lips. Life and lips. So as we talk about this, here are some points to consider. Number one, good works correspond to your creation and salvation. To your creation and your salvation. In other words, your good works are going to have a, a, a correspondence to your salvation because without salvation, you don't have the Holy Spirit and you don't have his power and you can't bear any spiritual fruit, right? But also I put the word creation in there because this is what the scripture says. It is also in accordance to how you are made. There are just certain things that you can't do. And that's why you don't play for the NFL or the NBA, right? And so there are some Christians who can do that. That's the way they were created, right? And they had the talent, they had the ability, they had the skill. And as a professional athlete, they can glorify God and witness for him, but not you. Does that mean you're left out? Does that mean you're second class? Not at all, not at all. But what the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, right after the, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right after that, it says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, in other words, that's creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works, but for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Okay, this is a pre-made thing for us that we should walk in them. You're predestined to salvation, but you're also predestined to ministry, to fruit bearing, to good works. Now, mine may not look exactly like yours and yours may not look exactly like mine because we're created differently. We're given a different set of circumstances where we are born. I have a friend who has been diagnosed, he's my age, diagnosed with ALS. His witness for Christ right now is probably more powerful than it has ever been. Can I witness in the same way? Well, I can say the same words, but they don't add the same power. I don't have ALS and uh, don't necessarily want it, just to be honest. But he is having a powerful witness for that. And his words have such credibility because of what he is going through. And the same is true for you and me. We may not go through the same things, but it is through our life and through our trials, through our difficulties that our words gain credibility, don't they? Boy, you can tell that person's real. They passed the test. They've been tested as they go through this. This is the work of God. And he equips us to do what he wants us, what he has chosen for us to do. And we're given resources, spiritual resources, physical resources. Um, we're given everything we need, the material to do it and the, t the material things to do it. 
Uh, some people are given great wealth and they use that for the glory of God. If you don't have great wealth, doesn't mean you can't glorify God. You just do it in a different way. And he also gives us all the time to do it. Some lives are short. Some lives are very long. Doesn't really matter as long as we use it for the glory of God. We can accomplish God's will. And so good works, as we said earlier, are the natural outgrowth of salvation. If they're not there, there's probably no life or no salvation. If they are there, it's good confirmation of salvation. But don't forget what we said before, it's fruit and faith. So if a person is doing a lot of good works, but they don't profess faith in Christ, the way the Bible teaches it, then that's a whole different issue. That's a social gospel that doesn't save. Let's move on. Number two, good works are for the glory of God. I think some people get this really mixed up. They say, I like doing this because I like to see the smiles on a little child's face. Nothing wrong with that but it falls far short of why you should really do it. Well, I like to do it because it gives me a warm feeling inside. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, except it does fall short. Good works are for the glory of God. Matthew 5, 16 sounds very eerily similar to what Peter wrote that we read earlier. Think it could be because he heard Jesus say these words? Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, light is best seen in the darkness and we need to let the children of darkness see our light. And we complain and whine because we're living in a dark world. Well, don't do that. This is a world by God's design and you're placed here by God's design and we are placed in the darkness so that our light might shine. Let the children of darkness see your light. And do it with the right motive, and that is God's glory. Not recognition. Somebody said that, uh, I think it was Charlie Brown said, working here is like wetting your pants in a dark suit. It gives you a warm feeling that nobody notices, right? Well, that's not why we do it. We don't do it for recognition. My father-in-law used to ask you all the question, did you notice that nobody noticed? And if you did, you didn't do it for God's glory. Did you notice that nobody noticed? Are you quitting because nobody noticed? Are you giving up because nobody recognized you or applauded you or patted you on the back? It's not for recognition and it's not for the praise of men. In fact, John 12, 43 says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Boy, that is so incredibly dangerous to love man's applause instead of the applause of heaven. And dead people don't see God's glory. They can't. They're spiritually blind. But they can see us. And so let them see in us something that causes them maybe to say, why did you do this? Why are you so happy while you do this? Why do you do this when no one else does this? And it's our opportunity to say it's because of Jesus and to share the gospel and to do it for his glory. Number three, good works are tied to opportunity. Galatians chapter six, verses nine and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we 
have opportunity. Let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So we don't all have the same talents. We don't all live in the same place. Obviously, somebody who lives in America and makes a middle-class income has different opportunities <coughs> than someone who is hiding in Afghanistan because of their faith, right? Well, that doesn't take them off the hook or take us off the hook. We are still to do those good works. And we are to do them as we have opportunity to do them. So when the opportunity arises, take advantage of it. Do good. And don't get tired. Don't get frustrated. And don't tie what you do to how everyone else reacts. It really doesn't matter. Well, I think I might be the only one who cares. Well, good. At least you're doing it. At least you care. And you may be the only one called to care right now. May change later on, but don't whine. Shine about all of that. This is your opportunity to shine. If nobody else in the church cares about what you care about, then take it that is, it is your burden and your responsibility to do that particular ministry. Far too many people are giving up because they're not doing it for the right motive. And then number four, good works are a replacement for sin. You know, if you're struggling with sin, you need to get rid of that sin, but don't sit and mope and do nothing after that sin. Replace it with something. Replace it with something. 1 Peter chapter 3, 10 through 12. For whoever desires to love life, well, that ought to be us. As Christians, we ought to love life, right? Whoever desires to love life and see good days, well, yeah, I want that. I know God does his sovereign work through us in persecution. Doesn't mean I want persecution. I'd rather have good days. So let's go on with the text. What do we do? Well, if that's what you desire, let him keep his tongue from evil, keep your mouth shut, and his lips from speaking deceit. Tell the truth. You don't have to tell everything you think, but let everything you say, everything that you do tell, be the truth, right? It goes on to say, let him turn away from evil and do good. Just made our point for us. Turn away from evil and do good. Replace the evil with something good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Huh. Maybe that's why prayers aren't being answered. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So good works, they make life joyful. So do a lot of them and have a lot of joy come your way. And notice that there's a negative and a positive aspect to walking with God. You've got to watch your tongue. You've got to turn away from evil. And conversely, you've got to actually do good and you are to pursue peace. And somebody said one time that Christianity is not a religion of don'ts. It's mainly a religion of do's. And if you'll do the do's, you won't have time to do the don'ts. Well, that's kind of what Peter is saying here. Replace those things. Stop doing evil. Stop sinning. Stop indulging in those things. Quit following after it and go the other way and replace it with something good. Then you're less likely to fall back into evil habits. God blesses those 
who do good works, of course, for his glory. So we conclude by saying that good works should never, never, ever replace the gospel. Don't just go dig a well in Africa somewhere and say, oh, you've got clean water and then cross your fingers and hope that somehow they'll tie that to Jesus. No, it's good to go dig wells and give people clean water, but you've got to tell them about the cross and about their sin and the resurrection of Christ. You've got to do that. And the same thing is true for us. Just don't... uh, help somebody, and then say, oh, I did a good deed, a random act of kindness. Somehow you've got to pair it up with the gospel, right? They should, however, open the door to share the gospel with credibility. That's what, they want. That's what we want. Good works are not just for the lost. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, 34 and 35, it says about the early church, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. It's not Christian communism, socialism. That's a free will offering. They not only did in the early church their good deeds to help the poor, to help those who had been through a hurricane or those who, you know, you get the idea. They did it within the church, helping people within the church with the resources that God has given us. That's the way it's supposed to work. And so as you think about good works, wrapping it all up, do them. Yeah, do them. We're for them. It's it's a good thing to be involved in the social ills of the world in which we live, but never to the replacement of the gospel, only to enhance the gospel. So you got a new nature, you got a new life, you're also going to have a new attitude about being a servant and serving God, which includes serving other people and doing those good works that accompany salvation. So go to work, go do the right thing, but do it in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God and share Jesus while you're doing it. And if we would all do that, what a different church we would be and what a difference the Lord would make in the lives of other people through us. You would be used in ways that you never thought possible. And that's what we all want, right? Well, thank you for taking time to listen to this. And I pray that it's blessed you. I pray that it's fed your soul. I pray that it gives you food for thought. And I pray that it also gives you a plan of action. Go for it. And thanks again. And may the Lord bless you. We'll see you next week.